Hi again, and welcome to episode two of Louisville Bats Franchise at 40, a podcast celebrating 40 years of this baseball franchise in Louisville. I'm Nick Curran. Thanks uh, again for tuning in. We invite you to rate, subscribe, uh, comment, leave uh, leave a like, whatever you can do, uh, however you're checked in with us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, any of those ways you can get the podcast. Very excited about today's episode and uh, excited about last week's episode. If you missed it, Bats team president Greg Galliet, our guest, the longest tenured employee ever of the Bats going back to 1984. Uh, the franchise began, of course, in 1982 and a great conversation with Greg. You can find that in the archives. Again, any of the places mentioned, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. I invite you to check that out if you missed it. From one team president to another this week. Very excited about this week's episode. Former Bats president Gary Ulmer, our guest this week. A guy that has been associated with the team since it began in 1982. The franchise, his dad, Dan Ulmer, as instrumental as anybody in getting this AAA franchise into Louisville and baseball back to Louisville where it has now been going on 40 years. Uh, Gary took over as the team president in 1993 after 10 years working as a banker and uh, has seen a lot, was instrumental in helping get Louisville Slugger Field built and uh, helping revitalize this downtown area and some great insight into that from him and uh, also instrumental in, in helping negotiate the terms of re-upping the lease, which allowed some of the great renovations of this ballpark uh, over the last couple of years. So very excited about today's episode. Thanks again for checking in with us. Uh, However you have, again, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher, and uh, enjoy this episode. Former Bats president Gary Ulmer, our guest, it is Louisville Bats franchise at 40. Gary, how are you? Great to see you. Good morning, Nick. Great to be in the ballpark. Yeah, great to great to see yeah. you here. And of course, uh, it's of course it's snowing, so it's not exactly baseball yeah. weather. But um, we'll, we'll look forward to spring as always. As we're recording this, it is snowing outside. It is very cold, <laughs> uh, but but hopefully this will bring about warm thoughts as right. as right. we kind of uh, jump into this. Wanted to to start out uh, was well looking through some old stuff here. Fortieth anniversary of the franchise and baseball coming back to Louisville in 1982. Found this 1991 media guide. Uh, at that point. Uh, it was looking back at the last decade of, of baseball, and uh, there's a, a story in here uh, about the 1981 strike in Major League Baseball, sure. and uh, it, uh, it talks about how your dad, Dan, and you mm-hmm. went to New York to see the St. Louis Cardinals play the Mets, uh, but that didn't happen because there, not, right. there was a strike in June, and uh, it said you sat in a hotel room and watched AAA baseball on television, <laughs> and that kind of helped spark the idea of why not have this back in Louisville, as there was uh, nothing else going on with the major leagues on on strike. What do you what do you remember about that trip? Well, um, true, uh, you know, Louisville has uh, an incredibly rich baseball history. There had been baseball in Louisville um, almost continuously for you know, many, many years. And when baseball left Louisville, basically when University of Louisville football was becoming a little more successful and baseball just kind of got the boot out of O'Cardinal Stadium. And so as we head into the uh, 
early 80s, I think we were the largest market in the country that had nothing, no minor league sports, et cetera. And, um, you know, my dad, frankly, was kind of the person back then that said, how, how can that be? And so I think the strike, you know, did kind of result in saying, you know, let's uh, maybe from a community standpoint, let's take let's take a look at this. And A. Ray Smith was was looking to to relocate a team he owned from Springfield. And uh, do you remember how like all that sort oh, of? Oh yeah, oh I remember how, very well. Yeah, I how, mean, how did all that come well, about? Well, I mean, my dad and I were both huge St. Louis Cardinal fans. I mean, the stories go that he'd come up to my bedroom at night and we'd listen to Jack Buck and Harry Carey on Clear Channel KMOX, and you know, so I grew up a incredible baseball geek and St. Louis Cardinal fan. And so it was no, um, you know, no great surprise that the first target would be the Cardinal affiliate in Springfield because it was a Triple A team playing in a very, very small market with limited attendance and clearly, you know, limited ability to generate revenues. And so, frankly, you know, Dad kind of looked at what's the, I hate to say, the weakest sort of team out in the region, but it would probably be the team playing in the smallest market. So uh, at that time, it didn't take a lot of discussion to, gee, could you move a team from Springfield to a major market like Louisville? And obviously St. Louis, it's, it's a good market here for the Cardinals. And so it all happened pretty quickly, really. Yeah, and uh, this, get, can I give us the sense of, of here back then? I, I know you, you mentioned uh, – a lot of the sports that had been here and moved away, obviously uh, the Red Sox AAA had been here and moved away kind of in favor of Louisville football there at, at what became Cardinal Stadium. Um, and and th- there wasn't just a lot here outside, I guess, of the University of Louisville's sports. And uh, give us a, an yeah. idea of the landscape of the time and, and the, the perspective back here of being able to get, well, to get that, the team that, here. that's exactly right. I mean, and, and so as this developed in 1981, all of a sudden the community was looking for something, in, in, my, in my opinion and, and others. So the community rallied around the cause of fixing up Old Cardinal Stadium for baseball. And so the city and the county and the governor and everybody – uh, helped and provided some funding, but you know back then there was uh, we, we had uh, we had people collecting money at street corners. I mean there was baseball stickers saying "Baseball, a great catch for Louisville," that were distributed by the thousands and thousands. And so all of a sudden um, the community I think got it that we're really lacking something here, and that led to the great success in 1982 and 1983 that nobody. Nobody predicted. I mean, on opening night in 1982, the stadium PA system didn't even work. And <laughs> I worked for the team then. I mean, we were out, um, you know, putting a net up in right field in the afternoon uh, before the game happened. And no idea that the – we had a small, small staff and small concession operation. And next thing you know, uh, people just came by the thousands. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. And I want to get to that in just a sure. second. W- one more uh, about kind of uh, – things coming back what do you remember how much did you interact with a guy that uh, we've talked to Greg about on the podcast and I know was was an eccentric very interesting fellow and that's that's a Ray Smith how how much interaction did you did you have with him as 
as he was uh, kind of the showman, I guess, of bringing well, baseball to town. Well, I, I worked for the team the first two years as just as an intern in 1982 and 83 and then uh, left. But back then, every day, because we, we weren't prepared. We had a very small staff. So those of us in the office, front office, we did everything. I mean, we'd be jumping in there to wrap hot dogs or to sell tickets or to take tickets, uh, clean up messes in the stadium, and so um, interacted with them every day. And I think that he was a marketing guy. I mean, he was a larger-than-life guy. Behind the scenes, things were a little rough <laughs> because, we, we, as I say, we really didn't have the staff, and he was coming from a very, very small operation, drawing 100,000 people, and now we've got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people coming into the ballpark. So behind the scenes, it was a little, uh, a little rough. But to the fans, uh, it was great because they, everybody wanted to be a part of a success story, and that's what it was. It, it was, and y you mentioned uh, opening night there in 1982, the team uh, back. I think I read you talked about the stadium PA network yeah. and Steve Bugs. Out there the, with a megahorn or whatever. Yeah, it's, just it's just unbelievable. Great story. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think I also read that there was uh, – some sort of water coming up near second base, like 45 minutes before first pitch or something like that. So a lot of things yeah. that had to be taken care of. And uh, as you said, everyone out working on it. And, and then that those two seasons, 82 with baseball returning, and then obviously a million fans through the mm -hmm. gates in 1983. Uh, and you were around for both of those years. Just, uh, I mean, had to have been amazing just to see the response to the team. Well, it was uh, incredible, really. And, and, of course, for me personally, the Cardinals won the World Series in 1982. So I went to every World Series game, uh, all four of them in St. Louis, as well as playoff games and a lot of talent on the field. And so it was just a for a, for a young single person, me, right out of college, it was, <laughs> it was pretty incredible. What about the – you know, it made a lot of sense, and I, I know there's a lot of – uh, Red Sox fans here from from that uh, that connection. Yeah. There there are a lot of Reds fans here now, obviously. Uh, but it, it seemed like at that time the Cardinals uh, a great fit here regionally, and I, you know there's still a lot of Cardinals fans. I know you were a Cardinals fan before the yeah. team moved here, but it feels like there's still a lot of Cardinals fans entrenched here, largely because of uh, of that history of of the AAA operation being here so long. Well, I think so. And again, as I mentioned, the Cardinals were in the World Series three times in the 80s. And that was something to be proud of when you were their AAA affiliate. And as I mentioned earlier, with Clear Channel, KMOX, and Jack Buck coming in, uh, clear as day on your radio, driving in your car, that uh, that helped also to um, develop fans. And, and there was still some fans even before that, they're Cardinals. I mean, if you're in Western Kentucky, you're a Cardinal fan more so than uh, anybody else. So I think clearly the team of choice for most people then and now would be the Reds, but the Cardinals would certainly be, um, um, you know, in the top two or three in terms of desirable affiliates, and they were available. So that's that made the decision a whole lot easier. That always helps. Yeah. Um, what do you remember about Cardinal Stadium in general? Just uh, just that place. I know everyone has their own sort of uh, memories of sights, sounds, smells, whatever the case may be. Well, I, you know, I grew up running around Cardinal Stadium going to UofL football games since I was a, a, a little kid. So I was very familiar with the stadium and at the time it seemed like a palace to me I, you know big and clearly the ability to um to handle large crowds and and short of what was a really short right field porch from a home run standpoint 
it played big out in left field and very big out in center. And um, back then it was AstroTurf or artificial surface, but that was somewhat of the the norm. That that bothered me greatly uh, come the 90s later when I was back. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was nice. It, uh, the big open concourse with plenty of room to, um, to, to walk around. So, you know, years later, obviously, it, uh, as you know, we went from kind of first – in attendance and ballparks and thing to, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but what a lot of people don't know is Louisville was credited with leading a great resurgence in minor league baseball in a period of time where uh, mom and pops sold out the local groups like the one we had here. And so stadiums started being built. And um, so fast forward 10, 15 years later, we were no longer at the top of the heap, mostly because other people had um, had built stadiums um, all across the country. So Cardinal Stadium seemed like a palace to me in the early 80s, not so much so um, in the 90s. Sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, and and you, you mentioned you were, you know, working for the team as an intern, then you left. I think you were in the banking was. Mm-hmm. business, right, for – for about 10 years yeah, and 10, then years, uh-huh. and then took over as as team president mm-hmm. in in 1993 i would imagine that was a, a a thrill of an opportunity to be able to to jump back into to baseball well sure the, the bank that i work for and i really enjoyed my banking career and credit that with giving me this skills and ability or what not, not that i'm trying to give myself um, a, a nod that i've got skills and ability but i understood fan, finance and accounting and could make budgets and financial statements and all that kind of thing. So the banking prepared me to come back in uh, and be able to help with, uh, certainly with the help of others here, of operating a, um, a small business. But at the time, um, the bank that I worked for had just been purchased by a large uh, out-of-state bank. And I thought, you know, if there's ever a time um, to not live through that merger the next few years and take a chance, it's now, and so I literally was the first employee at Old Liberty National Bank here that left after the after the takeover was announced. And so the timing was such, I thought I'll give this a try, and if it doesn't work, then I'll be a banker somewhere else. Uh, and it worked out pretty darn well. Well, it worked out mostly due to the stadium, uh, and we can get into that oh, for, yeah. for a minute, but it, it, if you if you want. But I, I you, know, you know, basically after a few years in the mid '90s, it became very apparent that we were not keeping up with others in AAA. And we waited um, a number of years because UofL was trying to build their stadium, which became Papa John's, obviously. But it took a while. And it was going to be 93, and then it was going to be 94, 95. And then finally, when they moved out, um, the thought was that we can renovate the stadium better for baseball. That meant get rid of the artificial surface and reconfigure the stadium and build some suites and maybe shrink it and do a number of things. And the price tag of that got to be so extensive that that's when Jerry Abramson kind of swooped in and he and I talked and like, well, if we're going to spend 15 or $20 million on a 50-year-old stadium and it's still going to need to maybe be artificial turf to accommodate the fair, et cetera. Let's look at doing something else downtown. So that had that not occurred, I would have not been here all these years. But, again, we got very fortunate as we got into the stadium development. Yeah, and, and that's uh, the the interesting thing, going back and reading some newspaper mm-hmm. articles from the time, and you mentioned the, the new UofL football stadium and, and that being built. Uh, what do you remember, you know, Jerry Abramson, you talked about – 
former mayor of, of Louisville stepped in and was a big, uh, big part of getting this done as well, along with you. Uh, the, the sort of, uh, I guess there was, there had to be a swing of, of public, uh, opinion to, to want to have a ballpark downtown as opposed to renovating the old place. Right. I, I know there was, uh, to some degree, Different uh, different opinions about it from reading articles uh, around that time. Uh, very much so. A lot of people thought that um, O'Carnell Stadium is a state facility, so the state would help. The infrastructure is there, the parking, you know, some access off the interstates, and and a lot of people were used to going to O'Carnell Stadium. Um, some people thought, well, what do you mean downtown? You mean we'd have to come downtown at night and park our car? And so, you know, there, there was certainly um, – two sides of uh, the story there in terms of opinion. For me personally, there wasn't because a downtown, I was a downtown person. I'd worked in the downtown as a banker. And for me, selfishly, it was downtown or nothing because I would have quit and done something else. I mean, in other words, I, the downtown stadium was all that I personally was interested in. And as people have given me some credit for vision and all that, there was no real vision. I don't know if it'd work or not, but if it didn't, I'd do something uh, else. But I, I really was a downtown believer. And so when Jerry, Jerry and I were friends because we'd worked together on other projects downtown. And I think we had mutual uh, respect and trust for each other. So once we kind of got into the talking about it, and then when we identified this site, which was a scrapyard, that was the gateway into Louisville and determined that a footprint of a baseball stadium would fit on the scrapyard, even though the city didn't own the scrapyard, and that was another issue. <laughs> but I think the, you know, the, the community invested a lot of money in our beautiful waterfront park, and yet there's a massive scrapyard sitting next to it. So I think when, the, I, I think when others sort of realized that a ballpark could be on this site, then all of a sudden there wasn't many naysayers. Um, I'd, I'd, once the project got rolling, um, everybody pretty much jumped on board. And the only real issues that I had, and I stood up in front of the booster club at Cardinal Stadium, was really safety. I mean, you know, we had to convince the people that it's going to be safe. And um, uh, I remember going to talk to, at the time, Major Don Burbrink, who was the commander of the area. And I said, Don, we got to, and I know him, good guy, Don, we got to have you know, got to have your help and everyone's help to make sure that people understand that they're safe and secure. So that, that you know, that was really about the only issue. Yeah, the you mentioned this site where the ballpark is. Was that was that just a situation of uh, was, was there was there other places looked at, or was it just that hey, this is where it's going to work and uh, this is where there's space and this is where it makes the most sense. And we you know, th there was only one other spot, and that was down Main Street at the eighth uh, or ninth. Um, street area where there was, I think, barrels and things stored, and you know, but I, I kind of, I, I just didn't really. <laughs> I, don't I don't think I want to go down. I don't want to go there and visit this. The site here, right on Main Street, um, just seemed perfect. And again, next to the waterfront, helped the community understand that if we can, um, if we can develop the area around here, which which did happen. I mean, it, it took years, but if you look at the contigu contiguous blocks to the stadium. You know, everything's nice, and um, I, I think clearly the stadium helped make that happen. What about uh, the the naming rights of, of mm -hmm. Louisville Slugger? Uh, obviously, that was a big part of it. It's, uh, it's an iconic brand here in the city, and 
uh, something everyone recognizes as, as being part of here. The, the name of the city is obviously in the brand. How, uh, how important was it to, to, to get them involved and have them on board? And, and how much of just a, a good fit was it to kind of bring all the baseball together here in the city? All the above. We did not shop the naming rights. We didn't hire anybody to sell them. Um, you know, we, no offense to Papa John Stadium, uh, et cetera, and all the other stadiums that have been named for fine companies. Jack Hilrick, who was a part owner of um, the Bats, as, as well as at the time running Hilrick and Bradsby. The mayor, Jack, myself, my dad, others, we, we just said it's a fabulous name for the stadium. Will you? We help with a little money up front as we're trying to build the stadium, and they they did, and um, certainly one of our uh, our, our better decisions at, at the time. Just uh, just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, what do you remember about as this was being uh, sort of uh, envisioned and and different renderings and and that sort of thing of of uh, of how it would look and just kind of what were you thinking? What did you think as you were seeing it sort of come along based well, on the, the drawings? Well, you know, it's in incredibly exciting we're sitting here in our nice conference room of the bats office and across the street i sat in a construction trailer for <laughs> a, a year as um watching the <laughs> watching the jelly donuts and coffee being consumed <laughs> every morning in the in the trailer um while we were trying to work building the stadium and as most projects you know we we had a budget of 23 4 million dollars or something and the you know, the first numbers come back at about 50% above that. And so we grinded away and grinded away. And, um, you know, there were some things that, again, as the uh, tenant, I just said, we, we, we can't live without this, this, and this. So I could go through and walk around and tell you a few things we don't have that originally were on the, like, expensive wrought iron fencing and stuff that, no, you know, you don't know about, you don't care about now at this point. But we pretty much... With the city's help, and again, the city wanted a first-class stadium. Got what we what we wanted in terms of um, design, uh, and it's it's a fabulous stadium, and the stadium standing the test of time, clearly. And I think just fits uh, the look of it with the with the brick outside, kind of a um, a really traditional feel, and I I just think it fits the area. It's it's really. It, it's perfect. It's really well, cool. Well, I've told a story a few times, and it's tired, but I like the story anyway. And when we were building the – when we hired the design team, Martin Donito and HNTB at the time, we walked through the structure, the historic building, the Brindley Hardy building, and, um, you know, I'm walking through there, and the floor's creaking, and the roof's leaking, and a draft's coming through, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, well, we're going to tear this down, right? And Martin Donito, on the other hand, Gary, don't you see it? Look at the trusses. Look at the blah, blah. You know, he went on and on and on saying, this is going to be the greatest gateway to a stadium ever built in America. And I'm like, oh, well, okay, all right, if that's <laughs> what you say. So truth be known, obviously, it costs more money to integrate the, the, the building. But clearly, it's, uh, it's, it's a unique and, and, um, and, frankly, incorporating the building is when everyone jumped on board, whether you're a preservationist or whether you're whatever, however you land on that kind of subject, everyone liked the design and um, the idea of doing it. The stadium gets built. Uh, it turns out great, obviously. Uh, April 12, 2000, oh boy. the first game here, the, the Norfolk 
squad in town. And uh, uh, what do you remember about that night? Was it kind of hearkening back to 1982 when uh, when things opened at Cardinal Stadium? Well, a little bit? For, you know, for me, obviously the most rewarding day of my business career. Um, you know, not a lot of people are fortunate enough to you know to be involved in some project that makes a difference in the community so clearly I was very proud very tired Um, but yeah I'll tell you what I remember Um, weeks before a couple weeks before the uh, the architects and the builders wanted us to open the season at Old Cardinal Stadium and I kept saying we're opening here we're opening here there may not be restaurants we're opening here there may not be concessions I said we're opening here the lights may not work I said we'll we're opening here you all we're we're opening (laughs) no matter what and it was a (laughs) It was a challenge because, um, one, the crowd was over capacity. And I'm telling you the truth, the construction workers didn't leave. They stayed for the game. I mean, we had hundreds of people in the ballpark that just stayed. And, you know, the we weren't at full capacity, certainly in terms of restrooms and concessions. And so it was a little rough. But I think the uh, the success was incredible and the community – kind of came to the ballpark and said, geez, we get it, Gary. We understand, you know, they didn't know. I mean, a lot of people didn't know how nice a ballpark like this would be compared to where we were. And, frankly, I didn't know until I started traveling to go on a couple All-Star games and things. And, you know, um, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but my dad and the other owners weren't weren't into it, uh, the financial commitment. And I took them to Indianapolis in 1996 to a game. And the only way I could get them up there is we arranged a golf game at Crooked Stick. And so I said, well, if we're going up there to play, we're going. And then we walked, we came out of there the night and go, okay, we get it. We, we should have one of these. And so, you know, it was an um, incredible night where we were all very tired. But um, And I know people, all, you've heard the story elsewhere, but, to, you know, to watch Deion Sanders get on base and steal second and come around on a base hit and score the first run in the stadium and the first, I mean, it just um, – um, unbelievable really a a fabulous moment and I think I still think about it a lot it's uh so cool to go back and and look at that video and and just see uh how it all came together and how excited everyone was and and just a packed house here um it it, you touched on this earlier but but this place really has been kind of the forerunner downtown you mentioned the 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 adjacent blocks here that have certainly been built up over the years but uh you know, I I doubt in my mind that maybe the KFC Yum Center would be there just down the road from us if this place hadn't yeah, been here. Yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to say. You don't want to take credit for the Yum Center being built and Nulu happening and all that sort of thing. But really, as you know, now from the Central Business District all the way east on Main and Market is nice. It's all been developed, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of private investment in in the general area. Now, would there still be a scrapyard here today, 20 years later, for the stadium? I doubt it. I mean, something would have would have happened. But clearly, the baseball stadium helped uh, j- jumpstart all of that. And you touched on this a little bit, too. I know you mentioned the trip to Indianapolis in 96 to see mm-hmm. Victory Field, which had just opened in the middle of, of that season. Um, th- this place, maybe Indy was first, but it feels like this also sort of continued – slash maybe uh, got other places to want to move ballparks downtown. After after this ballpark opened, not long after Toledo opened a downtown ballpark, Columbus kind of followed suit. And uh, it, it seems like, 
I don't know if this was the trendsetter, but it, it certainly further validated maybe other organizations' yeah, decision to to move downtown. Oh, I think so. I think that um, it, it was, you know, a lot of communities were looking at it. And I'm trying to think where I traveled to look at other ballparks. Obviously, in Annapolis, I went to Syracuse and Rochester, been to Buffalo. I'm trying to think where else we might have gone to look where ballparks had been built. So on the one hand, I think we benefited from being able to see some other ballparks and say, gosh, this is a good idea, but we can do something better. And so when we came and built our ballpark, then others uh, did did the same thing. We opened, I think, the same year as Memphis. Um, but, you know, I, I think the well, – that's why we've come in here and done some renovations. And, you know, we I fought for every fixed seat at the time to, for the biggest capacity we can get, including the bleachers. And now, you know, the trend in some of the stadiums that have built since ours are not quite the capacity. You don't need it, but more congregating areas. And so that's what we've done here uh, with the renovation. So, but yes, I, I think that, um, I think what I saw happen in Annapolis, then someone else sees what we were able to accomplish here and takes that as the reason to go, go forward and try to build a downtown stadium. It's uh, it's really cool how all that, that kind of comes together. Uh, Want to jump back a little bit sure. to a different aspect of of you know kind of the '90s. There was a lot going on. Not only uh, the the moving down here and and getting this going, but but also a lot of affiliation changing there. Uh, a Cardinals affiliate through 1997. Yeah. Then uh, then they took the operation obviously to Memphis, and uh, you know I, I know it was all right. Got to find someone to come in here. The Brewers in town for for a couple of years in '98 and, and '99. The last two years at, at Cardinal Stadium. What uh, you know what what do you remember about that and, and well, that whole that whole process? A lot of sleepless nights is what I remember, <laughs> um, because it was all happening while we were building the stadium. So, I mean, the Cardinals basically divorced us. Um, they went to uh, you know we called it mutual, but I. I you know, it was their emphasis to move to Memphis because Memphis was going to open a new ballpark same year we were, huge cardinal country down there, and so they did what we did. What people didn't understand at the time, and I'll never forget when um, the Cardinals announced they were moving to Memphis, I came back from lunch at Old Cardinal Stadium, and reporters are lined up about tackling me getting out of the car because people thought we were losing our baseball team. They just didn't – they didn't know because we had been a Cardinal field all those years. So we had to do a lot of scrambling and say, well, well no, 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 we, we, we're going to get a AAA baseball team. You know, I just I, – but, but we can't pick who that is. It's got to be somebody that's available. So there's a mating dance at the end of every couple of years when your affiliate dan- when your affiliate agreement expires. And the last two uh, unchosen are married together. So at any given time, I think when we were – when we needed affiliate, there was only three or four available. It wasn't like we could just go pick whomever we wanted. It doesn't work that way. Milwaukee, wonderful folks. If I've got one thing in my whole baseball career I feel bad about, it's that it's the fact that we, you know, after two years uh, moved on from them. I had no idea the, that because of a series of things that happened that the Reds would be available. The Milwaukee – uh, wonderful folks. We went up there and actually met with Bud Selig and Sal Bando and Cecil Cooper were the GM and farm director. Really, really first-class people. And so when we affiliated with Milwaukee, you know, um, it's not like there's a lot of Milwaukee fans in Louisville, 
but I thought these are good folks, and we'll just uh, you know we'll just build upon that relationship. And um, at the time, uh, I, I don't want to name names, but at the time the four or five teams that were available that made the uh, the the most sense. Sure, and uh, they were in for a couple of years, yeah. and then uh, and then uh, you mentioned it that the Reds become available, and and that just makes all the sense in the world given the geography and the opportunity to sort of. Uh, you know, have that excitement moving into the new stadium well, as well. I think when we announced the Reds affiliation and we were going to open the stadium as a Reds affiliate, people were like, wow, how did we do that? You know, and once again, well, it's kind of lucky. But um, clearly the Reds are the, the team of choice in terms of fans. So I'll have to admit that in 97 when we started building the stadium, I had no idea that we could actually open as a as a Reds affiliate. But um, – you know, the Reds were looking for a change, and we, we knew them. And um, um, it happened pretty pretty quickly. And obviously Milwaukee was a bit su- surprised. And like I've already said, I, I have to I feel like, you know, apologize for, you know, I, you need to I, – I think we all believe in building long-term relationships, so I feel bad about that one. But th- there was just no – from a business standpoint and a community standpoint, the Reds were available, and we, we jumped on it. And uh, obviously it's been – uh, sort of, well, the the rest of the story has has been uh, still here all these years later with the uh, with the Reds affiliation. Um, jumping back into some of the stuff uh, here in this ballpark, um, as, as the team was here, you uh, you were the the International League Executive of the Year in two thousand seven, and then there was uh, the All Star Game here in in two thousand eight, the Triple A All Star Game. Uh, I would imagine that was uh, another time with with a lot of work but uh, a lot of uh well really cool stuff to 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 have that here. Yeah, the, the All-Star game is something that we needed to do at some point and um you know, it's you want to showcase a really nice stadium and a really nice operation because then it was on ESPN2 um which I thought was a you know, a really good thing for our community and um uh we, at that point, we had such a good staff and such a veteran staff, and we had been through the opening of the stadium and kind of, uh, you know, kind of got to the point where we had caught up a little bit and things were pretty smooth. And um, uh, so, yeah, it, it was a it was a, a lot of fun. And as I promised uh, Greg and others here, don't don't worry, we're not gonna <laughs> we won't do it again for twenty years. But um, we'll, it, uh, it's 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 an honor to be selected to do it certainly. I know there was a lot of a lot of great stories about everything that that went into that. Uh, more recently, obviously, you uh, decided to, to step down as president mm-hmm. after the 2019 season. But uh, in in leading up to that, you talked about it a little bit. Um, the renovations that have taken place. I know you were a big part yeah. of mm-hmm. of, of uh, helping extend the lease here right. for the, mm-hmm. for the bats in this ballpark and and all the. Uh, the new stuff that is around now, a couple of new bars, the new, obviously the suites renovated, the new club level, and, and all of the, those improvements that have taken place over the last couple of years, uh, uh, you were a big part of that. And, and uh, what about that, that process yeah. and, and, and deciding right. what, what, what needed to be done to, to continue to, to move forward here? Well, again, the city of Louisville has been a great partner, and I think that when we kind of – got with the city and said, look what the stadium's done. And obviously we've uh, been paying you a lease payment for all these years. And basically the city's recouped, you know, most of the principal of the paid for of the stadium. And it's time to 
sign a new lease, protect baseball, keep it here forever, and invest back into the stadium. So, as usual, when we got in the process, we had about $30 million worth of good ideas and $12 million to spend. And some of those dollars had to go on things the fans don't see, the mechanicals and roofs and, you know, bricks and mortar and painting and, you know, to make sure the stadium's in good shape. So we came away with about $8 million worth of money to spend to enhance the stadium. As I alluded to earlier, uh, the stadium capacity is actually was actually bigger than we really needed. We don't need the seats in the far right field area, for example, and we needed some shade protection and we needed better amenities and things that young people want. So what you find when you go to Columbus or Nashville or people that will build stadiums later, the capacity is smaller, fixed seats are smaller, but there's more areas to congregate in and stand and have a beer, et cetera, as opposed to sitting in a fixed seat down the corner. So I think we've addressed um, a lot of that. And really, this year I'm, really, I'm looking forward to because we've had COVID and the, the last year the, a lot of those um, things I'm mentioning were still being worked on even during the season. I, I, think, um, I think when the fans walk in this April, you, you'll see a really, really nice stadium that, again, will stand the, the test of time. Yeah, and uh, I think it's just kind of cool how it all fits together. You know, it's always kind of moving moving forward. Uh, baseball came back at Cardinal Stadium, was great, then, uh, you know, needed something yeah. new, moved downtown, and this place has been excellent, but needed a, a little bit of uh, some additions, and, and, uh, and, and now here they are, and they've turned out great, and, and like you, looking forward to uh, everyone being able to get back here as the season gets going, but... It's kind of uh, some symmetry as everything just keeps yeah, moving you forward. Yeah, you got to keep investing. I, I went to one stadium that was built right before ours was built one time, and um, it was about 12 years old. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, they they're not doing anything here." You could, you know, it, to to meet our standards, we would have had to come in and spend a million dollars quickly just on things that were uh, in disrepair and deferred maintenance. So you know, these are big facilities, and you got to continue to invest. Definitely have seen in the travel, some that, that maybe yeah. have not stood up as well. Well, as, you more than anybody place. would, would know, know that. And I'm sure that you've, um, you've seen some differences. I mean, clearly some places where, where, um, it's spick and span and, and money is, uh, it, it is spent wisely on the stadium. And I'm, I'm sure you see some places where, um, they're a little behind. Yeah. There, there's no, there's no question about that. I, I guess a, a way to sort of, uh, to sort of wrap it up, um, and, and really appreciate your time. This has been oh, this this is fun has for been, me. Always great been, to be at the ballpark. Thank is, you, Nick. This has been some great stuff. But just how how proud are you to have – and how um, – maybe not surprised, but just how uh, how neat is it? And, and could you have ever envisioned when baseball comes back here, you're involved with it in 1982, to see it now, fast forward uh, 40 years later, uh, where it's come from and, and – all the uh, the successes over the years to, to now being in this place downtown. Just uh, how how uh, how thrilling is that for you to look back and, and kind of see it? Well, you know, personally, I've been fortunate, but frankly, been lucky. Um, you know, I didn't have any great vision. I mean, I already told you I I went to work in the '90s and saw we're going nowhere fast in the old stadium, and so you know, the stadium just was something, I, as you can tell, I'm, I'm very, very proud of and enabled me to um, have a great long-term career that I certainly didn't expect 
back in the 90s and you know the and and really it, the st the stadium is and the position that I've had here has helped me do a lot of things that I like uh, highly inv involved within the community and serve on a lot of boards and chair boards and all that sort of thing and so it really kind of helped um helped me personally you know fulfill a number of things that that um you know that I was looking for and I'm proud of I'm very proud of the stadium obviously as you can you can tell and um you know haven't been in it this winter and walking in today I'm <laughs> I still have the same feeling. It's just a great place, and um, I'm very fortunate. Uh, it's all uh, turned out incredibly, and uh, I think uh, we're all fortunate in this community to have it and someone born here and, and uh, having lived here most of my life. It, it's been uh, just an incredible well, it's too Well, it's too bad you're so young you couldn't have been with us back then for some of those years. Well, so. yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like I'm glad that yeah, I wasn't well, maybe, uh, sometimes, maybe yeah. putting picnic tables together or whatever the night before the uh, – Yeah, the I, I, that's, uh, I'm sure Greg has told you that. But, I mean, uh, people didn't go home the night before we opened the stadium. I mean, can you imagine our front office staff out there putting picnic tables together? But there was nothing else – you had to. There was nobody else to do it. It just had to get done. And one more. Yeah. You, you talked about it. You were adamant that, that yeah. the season was opening here – and uh, I think, you know, the, the message it would have sent to have started it at Cardinal Stadium after all the, uh, you know, obviously there was a lot of excitement going into the year. Uh, I think that that was uh, really important that the stadium opened here in, in 2000. Well, I, I, I thought so at the time. And, you know, if, if we had given everyone the latitude of saying, well, okay, we'll open a Cardinal Stadium, we would have been there months. Sure. You know, we might have been there half a season I, because then the the uh, emphasis would have slowed down. So the city, there, there was overtime being paid. I mean, there was work on weekends. There was work, you know, after hours to to get ready. But I just felt like at the time that if it's Portalettes, it's Portalettes. But we really ought to. We really want to just open the stadium here. Frankly, it wasn't Portalettes. There was some rough edges, but no Portalettes. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. That's good. And and the bathrooms are gorgeous that's now. Right. So yeah. that that is right. fantastic. Gary, really appreciate oh, it. It's, it's been great to see you. And uh, yeah. well, looking forward to yeah. So you when the I'll be back when the sun shines a little bit brighter, and we'll we look forward to baseball this spring. Looking forward to that as well. Thanks, yeah. Gary. Thank you. Nick. Great stuff from Gary. Really appreciate him taking the time to to sit down with us and some great insight, uh, especially into the building of this ballpark, which obviously has been the home of the bat since the year 2000 and everything that came about. And I thought it was really interesting. Uh, Gary talking about how there were folks that said, well, maybe we could start the 2000 season at Cardinal Stadium and then move uh, downtown in the middle of the year. But he was adamant that the season uh, had to start in this ballpark and I think a great decision and and uh, really set the tone for everything that year and, and getting this ballpark open on time at the beginning of the year. Fantastic episode with Gary. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, it was uh, phenomenal for me to get to talk to him and some really great insight about everything involved with obviously the franchise and also specifically Louisville Slugger Field. Again, leave us a comment, subscribe, like, whatever you can do, uh, wherever you're listening. We appreciate that uh, on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Next week, it will be, you know him, you love him, uh, former Bats broadcaster Matt Andrews will be our guest. 
He was uh, working in the Bats radio booth, first as the number two broadcaster with Jim Kelch, then, of course, as the lead broadcaster. He started with the Bats in 2003 before leaving in the middle of the 2016 season. So an, another long-tenured guy that has been around, uh, that was around this place for a very long time and has a lot of great stories and memories to share. That's coming up next week. Thanks so much for being with us this week. It is Louisville Bats Franchise at 40. I'm Nick Curran. We'll catch you next week. Bye.